0: Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your host, Natalie Kvork, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska, and Tara Vanderdeusen, a dairy farmer from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space so you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. Happy Thursday, Discos. Welcome back to episode 101, as always
1: brought to you by Case IH. And if you follow us on social media, you know that today is our first episode back from Montana Sheep
0: Trail. I know, I can't believe that we're coming like post-Sheep Trail already. Like we have been building up for Sheep Trail for weeks, months, and now we are like post-Sheep Trail. Like I don't even know what to do now. I
1: was gonna say, I don't even know where to start to sum it up to the listeners, honestly.
0: As you guys know, it was my first Trip to Montana. And I actually put this in threads. I wish every person who visited Montana could see like the sheep trail version. It was spectacular. I don't know if everyone visiting Montana is built (laughs) for the sheep trail (laughs) experience.
1: So I think maybe we should save that for only a select few. I will say that for everyone who maybe just tunes in here and doesn't follow us on social media, we should give a little background of exactly what Sheep Trail is because I think it will maybe help paint the picture better when we do give some more of our experiences from it.
0: Yeah. And maybe why we were doing it too. Sure. So a company called Duckworth reached out to us. They're the
1: world's only source verified 100% Montana grown merino wool clothing company. So they are based out of Montana. Their headquarters is in Bozeman, which was really cool. We got to tour that and see that, you know, where their products actually out on trail was so cool. They're like, you know, a close circle, you guys, but their ranch is also in Montana and is not in Bozeman area. It's not far from it. It's the Dillon area, which is exactly where we were for sheep trail. And what sheep trail is, is this, um, every year during this time, you know, kind of the July season, I guess it's not always the exact dates, but they have to move their band of sheep. I, I learned it was not a band or it was not a herd or a flock. It is a band, um, from lowlands cause they'd run out of grazing for summer. So they move them from lowlands where they are during the year up into high Alpine pasture. And it is about an eight day trek. They are moving about 8,000 to 10,000 sheep, which is like the ewes and the lambs together. And you basically just start and then you hike forever until the sheep make it to where they are. And it was this combination of the most, I don't know, historic thing I've ever been a part of and the most like like primitive, but not. It was, I don't, surreal.
0: It was really surreal. I think seeing the the ewes and the lambs like making this trek and doing it with them. Um, You didn't mention there was like four separate bands. So we got to actually see every single band where it was at and like kind of hike with them for a while and like see what they were seeing, what they were doing. And then my one of my favorite parts was actually like the combination of the team. So you have the the lambs and the ewes, but then you have their Peruvian. So the man who's like in charge of – he's the herder. And he is out there with like two horses. He literally – Eats, sleeps, lives with the sheep. And then he has all of his dogs. So he has his cattle dogs, uh like what there was like four cattle dogs per band. And then um like three or four livestock guardian dogs that were out there. And I just thought the whole like all of them together working to move these sheep across this really intense terrain was absolutely incredible. Yeah, there were moments like I said, I, it felt almost as if plucked out of like the
1: pages of a history book. Um, Duckworth actually has on their social media page a photo of a Peruvian back in like the 30s or 40s doing this because this family ranch has been doing this for a very long time. And they swiped over to a current photo of a Peruvian. And you could not tell the difference. I mean, it is very, very primitive. Like you said, the Peruvian has a little backpack he carries. And other than that, like he has a, you know, a bag on the horse and it is just him and the horse and the animals basically working together in concert to move these sheep. And then the brothers, the Helly brothers who, you know, own uh, this farm and the Duckworth Corporation... um, you know, they're going between the bands and the Peruvians and they're, you know, they're kind of like overseeing it, managing it bird's eye view, but really it's the Peruvian himself that is in charge of these 2000 animals and moving them and caring for them like out in the wilderness. I mean, they had talked about bears, mountain lions, coyotes. I mean, they, you're in, you're in forest territory. Like they are, they're actually leasing the, you know, a forest allotment.
0: And so it was just, again, crazy. I'm gonna get back to the Bears. The last thing I want to say about like the Heie family is we also got to meet Aggie, the uh, matriarch of the family, the grandmother of the Holly Brothers. and it was really incredible to talk to like a woman in AG who has been you know doing this for so long. She was just I kept thinking of the word pioneer, just like a real pioneer and what she has like built with her husband and her children and her grandchildren was very incredible to see. But going to the Bears, this was my first camping trip. And I did survive two nights in the wilderness, snuggled in a tent next to you. <laughs> I I think I
1: shared. I was like, I have never slept so close to someone that we are like working, sweating, not showering. <laughs> like I think our friendship was definitely escalated to like a whole new level with everything <laughs> we went through. The 48 hours plus on Sheep Trail, which I am giving us the few more hours because we were out there for about two and a half days. And I am 100% claiming that half day. We earned it. Sheep Trail is a little bit like the weather where it's like 50 degrees, but feels like 20 or something, you know? And that's Sheep Trail. It's like two and a half
0: days, but feels like six. That is the experience of Sheep Trail. I agree. We got there, what, Saturday night and we left like really late Monday night and... If you asked me, like, how long ago Saturday night was, it felt like a week and a half. Like, I was like, we've been out here for ten days. Like, we've seen so many different things. Uh, One of the Duckworth like employees came with us, and when we hugged him goodbye, it was like, (laughs) I'm going to miss you. And it was like we've been together for two days.
1: (laughs) I know he was like, we've seen life together with him,
0: (laughs) which we got to
1: meet a lot of the Duckworth employees actually, and we will continue to probably share more and more about Duckworth because we brought home some of their clothing. And I was really impressed. We wore their clothing on Sheep Trail. But they are their mission, you know, their ethos at Duckworth is so cool. And the employees, every single one of them was so great. And they hosted us so well, especially out on Sheep Trail, I really felt like they were, I don't know, just checking in on us, but also giving us a very authentic experience. I mean, I could not have asked for like a better like host out on Sheep Trail.
0: So I guess to kind of wrap this up, what would you say was like your most memorable sheep trail moment? Maybe like like one. sheep one and then maybe like a funny or one. I had a very
1: surreal moment where it was actually during the right after the downpour. So we had really good weather except for one moment where we had rain, which was kind of fun actually to experience like the different scenery and with the rain so I didn't really mind it. But I was holding a little baby lamb. And I was wearing Duckworth clothing, which is 100% from, you know, the, not the exact lamb I was wearing, obviously, but that herd, you know, that or band, that band. And then I was moving the sheep in front of me and it was just a full circle. And to be so rooted in agriculture and be in that place where I was, you know, so close to the beginning product and the end product and just like actively immersed in it. It was really, really cool.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I had a few moments like that where I just like can't believe that these sheep and these lambs, these ewes and these lambs, like, are able to do this. Like, these lambs were young. Like, they're only a month or two old. And to make that trek, it just was, like, incredible to, for me to think about, like, the resilience of the animals. And then at the same time, like, the resilience of the people. Like you said, you know, people have been doing this for hundreds of years. Uh Aggie ta- talked to us about one of the passes thousands. that's been used for thousands of years. Yes. And it just was like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine... Passing through this terrain thousands of years ago. And yet, like, here these people are, here these sheep are still doing the same thing. So I don't know. It was just very, like, awe inspiring. Uh, I think on the funny side of things, um, my our cold plunge, uh, in the river of washing our face (laughs) and like brushing our teeth and like doing all of those things was like on the opposite end of the spectrum, like very like funny. I was, I have not laughed as hard as I did on this trip in a long time. And so having those like two, like opposing things at all times, like the views and everything was just spectacular. And then like just the laughing at us, um, in our struggles (laughs) with camping and sheep trail. We could not stop laughing when we first arrived on sheep trial. I think we were part delirious. And
1: then we just did not know, realize the full extent of what we were getting ourselves into. And the two guys we were meeting, Dave and Mike, I think they were like, what is, <laughs> what is wrong with these girls? They will not stop laughing. Like are, are they okay? Um, but I will say at one moment, one of the guys is like, you guys really seem to love this outdoor adventure thing you guys are doing right now. And Tara and I were like, very much so. We love being in this kind of environment and agriculture really off the beaten path of it, literally. And so for any listeners who are, you know, in a very unique field of agriculture, hit us up because we would love to come and experience, um, you know, something different. So I don't know if we have, you know, shrimp, uh, list, what are you? Shrimp uh, harvesters? Shrimp, <laughs> shrimpers? I, I think
0: there's are shrimpers. Aren't shrimpers? they shrimpers? Okay. I don't know. I'm totally making
1: that up at this point. Uh, Any of those unique things, let us know. We're going to come visit and you get to host us and uh, take us along for the experience.
0: So the last thing I'll say is, you know, this, the, one of the reasons we did this is we went out to obviously meet with Duckworth, but Natalie and I filmed uh, the second episode of our uh, docu-series. And so we really hope that, like you said, we want to find more families and more people doing really cool things in agriculture that are kind of outside of the norm. So I hope I hope we have some discos out there that send in some ideas.
1: A disco slash shrimper.
0: A disco slash shrimper. What does that make you? A uh,
1: Drimper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys were still delirious. I should also I think- mention I'm recording this in Canada. So I flew from Sheep Trail to Canada. So we're just adding that layer of complexity to this. So
1: buckle up because we're not sure what this episode will turn out like. But I do want to move into our word of the week because I'm going to let you choose. I picked three of them that I feel like correlate to an example from Sheep Trail. Okay. So I'll let you pick. There's Maladroit, Dulcet, and Peckish. I like Maladroit. Well, it's Maladroit, but we'll go that Maladroit? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Maladroit. Okay. It's an adjective and it is inefficient or awkward, clumsy. I felt here's a, a good sentence. My first attempts at snatching a little lamb to carry were very maladroit.
0: They were. I was about to say, as you were describing, I was like, that sums up me on sheep trail. I was maladroit. <laughs> but you kept trying to catch. A lamb on sheep trail was one of the funniest things because these lambs, they were so little, you would think you could just snatch one up and carry it. And Natalie's like lifelong goal on sheep trail was to carry a baby lamb. And finally, one of the Halley brothers just went and got one for her and handed it to her because <laughs> she could not catch one. And we just couldn't listen to her talk about it anymore. And then I asked her videographer
1: if he got it. And he was like, no. And I was like,
0: what? <laughs> Okay, maladroit. Um, before we get into our first article, I do want to thank our first sponsor of today. Uh, as Natalie mentioned, we are sponsored by Case IH. Uh, to the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and even share your own. Uh, I actually had emails with Case. We have a fun uh, partnership coming up with them to test out some new equipment for our dairy. So I am, I just, I love our sponsor Case IH. So thank you to them. All right, moving into our first article, title, Subway's beefed-up sandwiches are hit or
1: miss. The mega chain has been trying all kinds of tactics to boost its bottom line, including the brand's decision to introduce meat slicers in 20,000 locations nationwide, a move the company described as the culmination of a two-year plan in which it provided the equipment to franchisees and worked out the supply chain that would allow it to offer the magic of fresh-cut proteins.
0: So I actually picked this article, sent it to you. I wasn't sure what you would think about it, but the reason I wanted to do it is because I actually go to Subway fairly often. There, you've been to our lake, and there's not a lot of restaurant choices at our lake, but Subway is one of them. And so I feel like I hit it up like once a week. And like two weeks ago, when I went, I ordered like my normal thing, and the lady like behind the counter was like, "Do you want to like beef it up?" And I was like, "What is she talking about?" And she was like, "Do you want more meat?" <laughs> I really was very confused. Um, she was like, "Do it like is more meat and cheese? Like it's your normal sandwich. It just has more." And so I ordered. You are laughing at me. (laughs) (laughs) We are delirious, you guys. Um, it. So she told me it's the Titan Turkey. And at first, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like, no, I just want my regular sandwich. But I ended up doing it. And I'll share more about what I thought about it later. But when I saw this article, I was like, oh, that's what it is. So they're trying to get ready to sell Subway. And they're trying to like boost profits. In the article, I described it as like, Refreshing your paint on your house. So they did a big refresh in 2021. So they're like getting it ready to sell and they are selling it for between seven and $10 billion.
1: Okay, you're done talking. I was like, she is just going.
0: I'm going to just do the rest of the podcast. (laughs) First off, before we get an
1: article, I want to laugh because you said that the lady was like, do you want to beef it up? And you were like, no, I just want my normal sandwich. If that does not sum up everyone's experience at Subway, I don't know what it's like. You pick one sandwich when you are nine years old and then you order that sandwich for the rest of your life at Subway and you do not vary and you do not do anything different.
0: (laughs) No, that is my sandwich. And so I was very thrown, even though I actually wanted more cheese and meat. I was like, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. I still was like, I don't know. So, okay, so
1: one thing that I thought was really cool is I feel like it's kind of coining a new term, which is meat forward. We've heard plant forward a lot, but this article kind of alluded to meat forward. And I was like, that is definitely a term I can get behind. I love that. Um, But like you said, they're essentially rolled out four new sandwiches. They all have like these... I don't know, you know, names to accompany them, but two of them have 33% more meat than the traditional sub. And then the
0: beast boasts a half a pound of meat, which that's a lot of freaking meat, you guys. It's a lot of meat. So yeah, there's a few changes. They also are doing like fresh cut proteins where they will like be like a deli. There's the deli slicer and they will like slice the meats for you except for it sounded like they have not worked out all the glitches in that like some of them are just slicing the meat in the morning and you, so you don't get to see other ones are like slicing it as you are there Um and then they're also adding more cheese and then more meat like those are the three big changes.
1: Yeah I really liked the meat slicer idea. I felt like it was almost offering like which I know it's silly to say but like this experience at Subway I think that's what Subway's trying to go for is like a experience a thing you go there you feel I don't know it's like flipping it back right into the olden days when you like went to your meat locker and they you know that's where you sourced your meat from and you like it was more hands on and I feel like this is Subway's kind of attempt at doing that and probably the best Subway can do so I do like the meat slicer idea I read that it cost them $80 million to do all of those meat slicers across the nation, which
0: that's kind of crazy. That is nuts. And that wasn't all of their stores. I think it was only 20,000 stores that got the meat mm-hmm. slicer. Oh, Maddie's weighing in and she says it's like going to the deli and getting exactly what you want. So she's for it. But I think this is a good time to talk about what Subway like looks like. So there's actually 37,000 stores. It is the largest chain restaurant in the world. It beats out McDonald's and it is in no, more than No, that can't be right. Yep. I 100%. Did you double check yourself? I have like triple checked it. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> okay. I'm like, right, I am like I know right. this. <laughs> Um, it's in more than 100 countries, but they peaked in 2015. And since then, they have closed more than 7,000 stores. And so it has been really tough for them. And you talked about how the meat slicing was like an experience. So one of their big competitors is Jersey Mike's, which I've never been to. But they do. It's like an experience. You go and slice the meat. And so they're trying to bring that feel into Subway.
1: I just appreciate this because I feel right now every other fast chain to try and you know, change themselves or keep up with the times a little bit is always offering a vegan option to the menu. Like that's their way of keeping up with the trend or trying to draw in a new crowd. And I love that Subway just like went 360 and was like, we're just going to beef the crap out of our sub sandwiches. And that's how we're going to keep up with the times. And actually the writer wrote that he was for this. He was like, this actually made my sandwich better, the meat to like bread ratio was really – like he was impressed. He liked it. And so I wonder if this could maybe be just a little like boost that Subway needs.
0: Um, I actually thought it was funny he talked about that because when I mentioned I'd get back to like what my sandwich was like, I really liked it too. Like I feel like a lot of times at Subway I was like removing part of the bread because it was like so bready. And this time it felt like more balanced between like the bread and the meat and the veggies. Like it was all – I don't know, just more proportionate. One thing we haven't talked about yet is the cost. Obviously that's the point of this, right? Is to boost boost profits. So like the Titan turkey that I ordered, if you get a regular like turkey sandwich, it's just under $9. If you get the Titan turkey, it is $9.59. So I'm just when I read that I was like, what happened to the $5 footlong? Like <laughs> We have doubled prices since the $5 footlong era. I know I have to chuckle a little bit because
1: it's funny that they are upping their meat quantity and cheese quantity so much because when I feel like you're there in your order and you're like, oh, I'll have olives. They drop like three olives on and you're like, that's, you know, it's like two pickles, three olives and like a little drizzle of mayo. But um, I'm actually not, I think that that if it's only like 50, 60 cents more or whatever you said it was, I actually think that's a really good price for the extra meat. Like I would... I would pay that and not think about it, I guess. Think twice about it.
0: All right. Anything else on Subway? Yeah. One more fun fact about Subway. I can't believe you don't know I'm going to say this. That if you order cheese at Subway, it comes from our cheese plant. Oh. (laughs) I told everyone (laughs) that on Sheep Trail. Yeah. I told everyone on that on Sheep Trail. So I'm telling now the discos, the cheese from Subway, you would be eating some of the milk from our dairy farm. So there you go. That's all I have to say. Now you can move on. There you go. No, I think that was a great ending. I loved it.
1: Okay, moving on to our second article titled Evo No. Ecovado. That's weird. Ecovado could be a oh, because it is op no.
0: Did I type this wrong? why did they change it? No, it's it? Ecovado. Okay. Think.
1: Yeah. Title Ecovado Could Be a Greener Alternative to Green Gold. As the climate warms, eating sustainable foods and a plant based diet are always are ways to curb carbon emissions. Innovative food alternatives can help consumers to do their part for the planet while still enjoying the tastes and textures of the food they love, like the Ecovado, an eco-friendly avocado alternative created by the UK-based designer and researcher Arena
0: Arena S. I was wondering how you were going to tackle that last name. <laughs> so good job. Um I thought it was really funny that the opening line was like Let's be plant based to save the planet. And it's like avocados are plants, but avocados still aren't good enough. And it just, I'm like, what is good enough for us to eat now? Like, what are we allowed to eat that's eco friendly and all the things that like people want it to be? Yeah, I'm glad we're starting with the title because they also
1: said that, you know, eating sustainable foods in a plant based diet are ways to curb carbon emissions, which they are, but it comes with a caveat, you guys, you have to know that eating a plant-based diet does not necessarily mean you are, you know, curbing carbon emissions. Like it's a very broad statement to be making. Like green does not inherently better for the environment. Plants are not inherently better. You just can't blanket statement these conversations like the title did. So I want to highlight that first and foremost, but moving into the article, what exactly is the problem with avocados? Why does this lady care so much about, you know, creating a fake avocado. And it comes down apparently to the water, which I didn't even fact check this. But the article quoted that apparently our love for avocados comes at a significant cost to the environment. Approximately 2000 liters of water are used to grow just one kilogram of avocados, while forests are cleared to make space for avocado trees, which I do think like they use liters of water and grow one kilogram of avocados. Like I feel like they use stats just to confuse you. But the reason why I didn't even double check this is because I don't I don't want to say I don't necessarily care, but it's like every single thing we're growing comes with an input. There is going to be a slight cost. So it's like, pick your poison, right? Avocados may be water. Almas may be water. Uh, something else may be uh use with the land. You know, there is that effect with bees. Like every single thing is going to have a problem. There is never going to be a food option that is just not extracting from our environment and I don't get how we can get so like lopsided on this I guess
0: no I agree I think that was like the point I was making at the beginning was just like you say a plant-based diet is going to like fix the planet that's what we've been being shoved down our throat for like like the last like decade and now like Avocados aren't good enough; like they don't fit that criteria. And it's like, like, yeah, everything uses natural resources. There's never going to be like a carbon, like free, um, like emissions-free, land use-free, water-free food. Like that goes back to you remember the time we talked about the eritarians that they're like they try to consume as Mm -hmm. little food as you need. Like we have to consume food to live, and therefore those use resources.
1: And I understand that that means then, you know using as minimal resources as possible or using it in the most sustainable way, which again, we're not disagreeing with that. But if you dive into this ecovado, and what exactly goes into it, the skin is made with beeswax and the natural food coloring, which contains spinach and charcoal powders. The meat, which would be, you know, like the, the fruit the green part, mm-hmm, is broad beans as the base, an apple for freshness and then cold pressed rapeseed oil for creaminess and then a sprinkle of hazelnut. And then, then pit would be a chestnut or a hazelnut. And I was like, okay, well, let's dive, you know, deep dive into all of those. seed, which is fairly close to canola, that's going to be a monoculture crop. So, okay, let's go down the, the avenue of everyone who says that monoculture crops are ruining the environment. Let's go down the avenue of like chestnuts and hazelnuts. We'd have to import. That would go into the freight, the cost, the fossil fuels of what goes into Moving, you know, hazelnuts and chestnuts around the world so that we can produce an avocado, you know, it's like you just it makes zero sense to me why you would do this when you could just, again, naturally grow an avocado.
0: I agree with you on the transportation and that emissions. It's kind of interesting. So apparently the reason that this inventor, this founder chose those products is because she's based in the UK and those are all local products to the UK. And so people did ask, but like, how do we make this work in like other countries then if your entire premise is these are local to the UK? So she is actually experimenting with like, if they had these in Japan, they would use like edamame beans. And like, so her idea is that she will produce these, What? how do you call it? Eko-ca- avocado? Oh, ecocados. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, in other countries with different local ingredients from that area.
1: Okay. That makes a little bit more sense, but I don't feel like that's like scalable probably at the mass amount people consume. Avocado toast. One, I have two more points about this. One is that she is an art major. So she it was, this idea was developed as part of her, you know, master's degree at this art school. And then she joined up with the food science to do this, food scientists to do this. And I want to step a little bit on my soapbox of, I just feel like this is a prime example of someone who is not super familiar with agriculture practices, making a pretty big decision about agriculture practices. And I just don't think that that is a way to move us, you know, sustainably forward for our food system. And then two, I think this was really cool. At the end of the article, they mentioned um, this associate professor. and I think it might have been the food scientist she was working with, but he is looking into you know, in uses for avocado byproducts. So he's looking at like including recyclable cutlery made from avocado pits and oils. And then um, for the peel and pulp, using that for like lubricants and foods. And I was like, that is how you make a sustainable food system. Like looking into how you can use more of the avocado in other ways, recycling it, you know, making it more sustainable in that fashion than in my mind, creating a,
0: a fake avocado. I really loved that they included that in the article that about because I agree with you, like, how can we just reduce the waste and byproducts or reuse the byproducts of products we're already producing in love like avocado, the world consumes 11 billion pounds of avocado, I don't think we're going to just like, stop doing that one day. Um, And so I think that seems like a much more viable option for making things better. Before we move on, I do have two fun facts. Because when I was
1: thinking about the chestnuts and hazelnuts, I was wondering what states in the U.S. are our top producers. And I was very shocked by both answers. So the top state that is the number one producer for hazelnuts is Oregon.
0: Oh, okay. I could kind of see that. Mm -hmm. And then the top producer
1: for chestnuts michigan
0: oh i get, feel like i could see that again that doesn't totally surprise me i don't know what i would have guessed but th- i feel like that aligns and i want make i guess i'm just gonna like make
1: sure i'm state this correctly but what i pulled was from the u.s department of ag and they said michigan has the most acres of any state devoted to chestnut production so i guess that maybe doesn't necessarily mean they're a top producer
0: but i am correlating that they are got it Okay. Well, before we move on to our third article, I want to give a shout out to one of our fellow podcasters. Um, we love the Casual Cattle Conversation. That is hosted by Shay Keister. And Casual Cattle Conversations is a podcast created for cattle men and women who want to connect with industry experts and fellow cattle producers to learn about strategies and management practices that will improve their bottom line. This is hosted by Shay Keister, who is a fifth-generation rancher from North Dakota. And it is a weekly podcast jam-packed with tons of information. We actually um, have met Shay in real life. She um, attended one of our summits, feels like forever ago, but it was about a year ago. And it is she just pours her heart and soul into that podcast of giving great resources to other cattle men and women. So if you want to listen to Casual Cattle Conversations, you can find it anywhere on your favorite podcast app.
1: Yeah, my little bit to add would be echoing what you said about Shay's passion for this podcast and just the, you know, industry as a whole. She really, really cares about helping producers like up their bottom line and just doing better, being better and providing the resources to help accompany that she also has a mastermind that that accompanies the podcast that you can join if you're like a producer and you want to you know have conversations about things and changes you could be making at your operation and so i do think if you are a cattle producer of any kind she really tries to hit on all the different segments um and you're looking for an informational podcast hers would be a really great one to check out All right, moving into our third article titled White House Greenlights Research into Reflecting Sunlight to Address Climate Change. The White House releases a research framework last week for a process that would block the sun's rays in order to mitigate some of the adverse effects attributed to climate change.
0: Oh, gosh, where to start with this one? I feel like maybe initial thoughts. I feel like this seems a little crazy. I wrote down a little nuts to start messing around with something that we definitely don't know all the repercussions to there was a science like scientist quoted in the article that like there's lots of scientists that don't think we should be messing around with this that like the risk we don't even know what all of the unintended risks are for something like this i wrote down first thoughts i thought the avocados was a
1: waste of time
0: <laughs> it only gets worse <laughs> So I think it's worth noting that the Biden administration has pledged to reach net zero emissions economy wide by no later than 2050. So this is one piece of that that they are like putting money towards for research. So it's also worth noting that they're,
1: the White House keeps issuing a statement since this has come out that they are not actively looking into this or like there are no reports that they are going to do this for sure the report was basically saying that they're open to looking into it so I do think media is running with it a little bit but also at the same time um I don't know I just I think it's crazy that they're open to it but I I guess also like I don't know why they wouldn't issue a statement that's like yeah we'd like maybe look into it I don't know
0: yeah it's definitely become like a PR nightmare I think for them actually it has not gone well with them saying they're interested in this but I mean So the way it works is that they inject the atmosphere with stratospheric aerosol and marine cloud brightening. And it's like sulfur or sulfate particles released in the atmosphere. And then they assist with reflecting sunlight. And then marine cloud brightening is salt from the ocean that would be used to increase the reflectiveness of the clouds. I just don't think people are going to be okay with us injecting something into our atmosphere that we like don't know the repercussions about. So I'm surprised they didn't have a little bit better like plan in place when they rolled this out of how they were going to like talk about it. Yeah, for
1: sure. And when you said that you don't think people are going to be okay with this, I think there's a micro component to that and a macro. So micro is like everyone in the US is not going to be for this idea of injecting aerosol or whatever it is into the air to have this effect but you have to also like pan out and think globally what this could do with relations like how upset would we be if all of a sudden russia's like hey we're gonna block the sunlight and we didn't get a vote or a say on that like this would have global complications um not only from uh you know environmental human rights issue but i do think it will cause like a political tension, obviously. And so I just really don't see this even being a viable option or going anywhere beyond this. But it is interesting kind of to like deep dive and, I guess, like talk about and think about all the things that come with it, because I Obviously that's the main picture.
0: Uh, apparently we're all on the same page. Maddie literally in the chat said the exact same thing. Like, how does the US decide like something for the rest of the world? And then in my notes, I have the same thing. How do we decide which countries or companies are allowed to do this? Like how would it be regulated? Like, who has jurisdiction over this of doing it? But supposedly a company in has already started doing this in the Baja of California that was mentioned in the article. It didn't give the name, I don't think, of the companies. There wasn't a lot of of information. But like, even that, so not even just a country, but how do you decide which company gets to be like, involved in it or not? And I honestly, one of the things that I kept thinking, like, this just seems like like a futuristic, like Marvel movie, like, we're gonna save the world by like reflecting the sun and as I was thinking about that, I was, I was thinking about Montana and I was like, so we can reflect the sun, but we can't get like cell service in Montana because one thing we didn't talk about, we didn't have cell service for the entire time we were on sheep trail. And so I just was like, can't we like solve other problems first? Not that cell service is the most important, but like there's a lot of things going on in the world that I just like, I don't know if reflecting the sun is the best use of our resources. One of
1: my last final points maybe is that going back to what we talked about with the avocado, which is like big picture thinking and almost we're getting to tunnel focus on certain environmental issues. My first very first thought, beyond the sarcastic, um, you know, like, uh, this is a waste of time. My first thought was well, great. Okay. We blocked the sun rays, but now we're all deficient in vitamin D. And so we have all the health complications from that. Like, great. We lowered the emissions or, you know, the, the warming of the planet, but now we have like decreased growing hours for all of our plants, like all of these ripple effects. And I just think it's so interesting that we keep seeing these examples of how we're getting very, almost like, too focused on a singular issue and really losing sight of big picture issues and like the ripple effects of that. And
0: it just really, I guess, obviously concerns me. I had similar thoughts. Um, I was thinking about, I think it was in the South. We like tried to eradicate some mosquito or something. It was something really random and it had like massive ripple effects within the ecosystem of like, well, what eats the mosquitoes? Like it had all these unintended consequences. And all I kept thinking was if the tiniest little thing like a mosquito and us trying to like eradicate it caused that many problems what is blocking the sun going to do and all the unintended consequences of that? Like we're talking about a thing that literally like sustains life on earth and we are going to start messing with that. Like that seems like a really bad idea. My final thoughts, I think, um, just to end on maybe a more positive note, did you read the part about The Simpson Show? Oh, I know what you're going to say. So The Simpson Show has It has a habit of like predicting things before they happen. And so it talked about reflecting sun's rays um, in one of their episodes because the wealthy owner of the town wanted to have citizens use like his nuclear power instead of like the sun's power. But I just, um, I laughed at that a little, like kind of laughed like, ha, ha, ha. That's ironic. Not like, ha, ha. It's funny because yeah, this show, The Simpsons has like, what would it be? Predicted multiple future events. So kind of creepy, kind of weird, kind of freaked me out. Oh, I'm 100% convinced that the writers for Simpsons are time
1: travelers. (laughs) Like after I felt down this, I read this article that listed all the things they predicted. They predicted Apple Watches, Donald Trump as president, this building in London, Disney purchasing Fox, an Ebola outbreak. There was a mathematician equation Um, There was this crazy like baseball one where it's actually so specific that and it was close in timeline that people thought they were Simpsons were spoofing the baseball player. But actually, it had been recorded like three months before. So it's there is proof that it was done before. It was just insane to see the list of the things they predicted. And then there was an article of 2023 predictions. And it was really interesting to see what Simpsons said would happen in 2023.
0: It is absolutely wild. Wild world we live in where we have fake avocados and we are blocking the sun's rays and we are beefing up our Subway sandwiches. (laughs) So,
1: I know. I do feel like we had two out there. Like two weird articles today. They're very interesting. Yeah, but very out there
0: articles. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to Discover Ag where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture and we will see you guys next week. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>